0: Praise God. no one in the world like Brother Sisko. <laughs> if you notice, this wife is extremely quiet. <laughs> She's had a lot of practice listening. <clears throat> He's not listening to me. I have that feeling he isn't. This, this will be an informal session, so my wife and I are just going to Take the notes that we put together and do a lot of ad libbing as we go along. I'd like you'd take your Bibles and turn to the Scripture that we want to read. It is such a familiar uh, passage of Scripture that most of you could uh, uh, pretty much go through this without even opening your Bibles. It's talking about the two foundations. Also in the Book of Luke, it's found in Luke the sixth chapter, verse forty-seven through forty-nine. Uh we want to endeavor to talk about work schedules relationships with uh your spouse and your family based upon conflicts that can come through breakdowns and in life life is is not smooth you will have trouble there are breakdowns uh we want to talk about work from the standpoint of the joy of it but please remember it is called work or reason this is not the garden of Eden and uh, men do have responsibilities but basically we want to see if we can put some things in its proper place or in perspective so that you can see things clearly Uh, most people just stumble through life from church service to church service or from uh, one conflict Uh, with their spouse to another conflict, do little or nothing to change. Now, the story found in Matthew 7, uh, I do think that uh, the foundation that Jesus is speaking of in its purest text is speaking about man's ability to do what he hears rather than uh, just leaving things up for grab or for chance. However, uh, we normally accept the foundation uh, of our Christian experience as Jesus Christ, and certainly that is correct. So let's read Matthew 7, 24. Wherefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not. For it was founded upon a rock, and every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. One part of Luke 6 that I like, and that's uh, verse 48, the Bible tells us that the man that built his house upon the rock did some digging, uh, making reference to the rock being hidden. Uh, it is not mysterious to find a rock underneath the, the surface, but it does require discipline on the part of the individual seeking to find the rock, its subsurface. Now, houses were intended to be built up and out, in other words, balance in them. If you see an architectural design without balance, you usually think of it as being abstract or something that is not easily figured out, (laughs) a little bit on the confusing side. The closest I can come to describing modern art outside of saying that it's abstract is that in many cases it looks like the inside of Sister Grant's purse. But (laughs) other than that... (laughs) (laughs) And some people's people's lives (laughs) quite often are in disarray. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have fun up here. (laughs) Paul talks about us building our lives upon the correct foundation in 1 Corinthians 3. Now, I'm going to go through some of the outline, and then we will get into four areas that we want to talk about. And this is when Sister Grant will be uh, helping me and helping you, hopefully, uh, tremendously. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3... Uh, verse 11, the Bible says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is uh, Jesus Christ. Now, if any man built upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the they shall declare it. Now, the work that he's speaking of is your life. There will be a time you can be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. But, but you can get into some vain ways of thinking. Your philosophy can be wrong. And you can put together a, a life where uh, when the testing time comes that it will fall apart. Uh, now, all of us will have moments in which we feel that we have not done very well. Uh, there are times when I stand up to pastor or preach. And I am very cognizant of uh, problems, existing problems with people. And when I go home, I feel like the church is falling apart. Uh, come Thursday night, somebody will stand up and testify or somebody will come by and say something real nice to me and comment uh, on something that I have done. And all of a sudden, my attitude changes And I began to feel like I'm pastoring the best church in the world. Uh, You know, that happens in almost every phase of your life. You can become dissatisfied with the job today and feel like you really have the best job tomorrow. Uh, You can feel like that you have failed as a father and your family, uh, you know, needs a considerable amount of help which you have not been able to give. And maybe a week later, Your son or daughter will come and compliment you on, like, Father's Day and feel like you've done a great job. That's true in almost any relationship. But uh, over a long period of time that is prevailing, a feeling that you have, you're going to have to give a a good look at what you're doing. It may be that your philosophy relative to life is is, uh, wrong. Now, instead of the Sears Tower, it's still the tallest building, to my knowledge, in the world. It's over a quarter of a mile tall. But if you go down and go through that, they they give you a little brochure and they tell you that. Even though the building is a quarter of a mile tall, that it's impossible for it to be destroyed by, like, uh, uh, a tornado. Uh, An earthquake would put it down. But the reason why that it will not tumble or topple is because that, uh, they went down subsurface to a solid bedrock foundation and the bedrock upon which the Sears Tower is built is larger than the city of Chicago. And they drilled into that and, and they anchored it in. Uh, in order for it to fall, they said the whole city of Chicago would have to turn upside down. And that would be a little bit impossible. And Jesus was saying that some people do not dig deep enough to find the correct foundation. Now, when we talk about the foundation, building a life around Jesus Christ, you can know Jesus and the power of the Holy Ghost be baptized in his name and yet have a philosophy that's really contrary to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, balance is, is the key in what we're talking about today. In other words, there has to be a balance in everything you do. You can't just go off on one tangent. Even in, if you're a preacher, if you preach on one thing for a long period of time you get locked in, you'll find that, that uh, you begin to focus in to, to such a point that nothing else is important. And uh, I, I have had a fear of always preaching on one thing uh, too long for fear i get locked in. Uh, and naturally, uh, what you have your mind on is what you're going to be preaching on. What you talk about all the time. What you get locked in on. Uh, some men, and Brother Pugh did such a masterful job in explaining the male ego, but talk about men proving themselves. This is, uh, this is, this is so true with men. Uh, they, they get locked in on their job, and that's all there is to life. And that's all they want to talk about. And it's job, 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 job. There are other things in life that are equally as important, some more important. It was even said of David, when David was dying, he called his son in. And he called Solomon in, and he said, Solomon... Son, when I go by the way of the grave, be thy strong and prove thyself to be a man. Uh, goes hand in hand with what Brother uh, Pugh was talking about, that David felt that Solomon had something to prove. He had to prove his masculinity. He had to prove that he was equally strong as his father David, who was indeed a great warrior. But in order for balance to be achieved, The best way that I know to achieve balance is just through organization. You have to sit down and figure out what is right and what's wrong and organize accordingly and take action. And uh, if you just leave yourself for chance, you'll float back and and forth and vacillate so much that after a while uh, uh, you'll find that organization is lost. Now, by organization, we simply mean that uh, there are so many things in life that needs your attention and your time, and you're going to have to put a slot in there for that and make sure that it gets done. Basically, you know, if you waste your time, you're wasting your life, because that's what it is. Time is just a way of measuring duration. And if you may waste your time, you, you simply waste your life. Now, there are some misconception, past misconceptions that I've had, and I think this has been pretty much true in a lot of Pentecostal churches. Uh, one is that uh, we, we went through the uh, period of time which we were pretty much fighting for acceptance. Uh, years ago, when I first came in the church, uh, uh, we had mostly down-and-outers, and I'm not uh, in any way... Uh, trying to be demeaning when i say this but the prominent people of our community went to denominal churches and most people who gave their heart to the lord were people who uh were in desperate straits in life and had few friends well i, I don't know why but for some reason uh this gave us a complex we begin to fight for acceptance. When we begin to fight for acceptance, a lot of our people got into PMA books, successful living books and such. Now, please understand, I'm not against all of those books, but I will say there is a more than just a touch of humanism in some of them, even though it is mixed with the Scripture. And for some reason, from a lot of our pulpits, including the one that I occupied, uh, men were made to feel guilty if they were not extremely successful in their vocations to the point of being married to their jobs because this was a point in which they did prove themselves to be men. The world seemingly gauges an individual by, by what he, the home he lives in, the car he drives, they, they gauge churches by, you know, the value of the building. So <clears throat> I got into this rut for a long period of time and pretty much became married to my job and married to my vocation. Uh, I was doing drafting and building some homes, and I got involved in this. And truthfully, I, there was a period of time in which I, I got up at 5 o'clock in the morning and went to work. I got home at 9 at night. I did this for several years. Our children were young. And, uh, I just felt that, you know, it wasn't time to spend much uh, uh, or give much to the kids. They're, they're, they're so young. But let me tell you something. Those kids will be out of your home before you'll ever realize it. And they'll be gone. And uh, the great regrets that I have is that I really didn't spend as much time when they were real small when they were real small uh, i've heard people make statements like well i only work i only sleep 4 or 5 hours per night and that sounds so appealing when you you look at their mark of success but after a while when you see their life crumbling their kingdom falling down you you realize that the the awesome price that you have to pay for that is really not worth it I've heard the statement money talks. Uh, you know it, it does. It really does talk. Uh, regretfully usually the only thing you ever hear it say is goodbye. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> 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 Then uh, we also had the period of time in which we, we, we made people, I'm talking about preachers, made, made people feel somewhat guilty if they did not have a personal goal to evangelize the world. Now, that should be the collective goal of the church, but for some reason we excluded our own children. We excluded our families. Just got so busy saving everybody else's children, we neglected our own and certainly, that's not what the Lord was 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 speaking of when he spoke of forsaking everything. Now, the key words in organizing your life, and this is something I, I teach all new converts in our church. I've taught this at seminars throughout the states, and many of you have heard this in your local churches, because I've been to several local churches and taught seminars. But the first key word in organizing your life is priorities. You've got to know what, is number one what's number two what's number three and a priority is not just having knowledge of something but it's what you actually give yourself to the second is goals Uh, you have to you have to know what you're aiming at what you're trying to accomplish Uh, and then of course the third is is a plan of action There has to be a plan of action in order to keep things in their proper perspective. Because circumstances will alter and push you around to the point which you alter your priorities. And sometimes you feel like you you just don't have any recourse in it. You don't have a choice in it. Now, the priorities of a Christian should be, always should be, number one, God, number two, the family of God, And number three, the work of God. Now, you should have no other priorities outside of this. See, Paul said in him we live and we move and have our being. Uh, You can go to any local bookstore. You can find all kinds of books on priorities. You'd almost have to take a list around your pocket to find out how you're supposed to order your life. But it's God, number one. The family of God, number two. That consists of your your own immediate family, your wife and children, your brothers and sisters in the household of faith. The work of God includes the evangelization of the world, your place of employment. I'll just throw this in for good measure. God never put you in the, the middle of that factory rubbing shoulders with all of the men just in order to make a dollar. It can be your greatest harvest field. That is the work of the Lord. Now, I like to see people that are fun-loving people, people that are having a good time in life. And happiness is really a choice. It really is a choice. Happiness is a choice. I just want to read something that I, I put in a... In a message not too long ago, quality is never an accident. It is always the result of high intention, sincere effort, intelligent direction, and skillful execution. It represents the wise choice of many alternatives. Now, the first thing that I want to talk to you about, in order to be happy, you must serve the right God. You must serve the right God. The living God must be your God and must remain your God. And if God is your top priority, He must always remain in that position. I mean, if you're saying that. Now, you can say that and live a life contrary to that, but you're just fooling yourself. See, What happens quite often in local assemblies, a preacher can preach, multitude of people come down to, to the altar in most cases, they're, you know, the bulk of them are the saints because they are rearranging their priorities, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, because they have no basic outline for their life or they, they have not organized their life. They, they switch priorities. Come Monday, they switch their priorities. Tuesday, they may be shuffled around again. Midweek service, it's a struggle for the minister to rearrange those priorities. So they're always... In the state of confusion and the state of giving themselves always it's 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 never a, a permanent established thing we need to establish God as being the God of our lives and and come up with a plan of action to assure that he always will be when I first came to God I made some vows I made a vow to God our major altar time was in the evening. Now we prayed in the mornings my mom did, and taught us, but we had family altar. so I said, I will never retire and go to bed without praying. And in the years that I've lived for God, I have kept that up. I do not say that boastfully, but it just it's been, been so habitual that, uh, wow, you know to, to even think about short-changing. Uh, myself there at, at, at that time, it, it it does something to me. The second thing that you need to do in order to be happy is marry the right person. <laughs> uh, Brother Pugh has spoken so wisely on this, and and you know if you if you feel that you're married out of the will of God, once you're married, that is really the will of God for you. And I will assure you that if you will apply your heart to the principles of the Scripture, God will rearrange everything to the point that you would not be happy in to anybody else other than that person. Uh, God does use things that are less than perfect. You can have a marriage that's less than perfect. And God can use that marriage and let that marriage... Ultimately, glorify himself. First Corinthians fourteen, I think, is a good example. Paul talks about spiritual gifts, outlines how spiritual gifts should be used. Obviously, in the spirit, some are using spiritual gifts in a less than perfect way, and God will, at times, because of the ignorance of people, speak in a way that's less than perfect. Uh, this does not alarm me when people do not have a knowledge. But when knowledge is gained, uh, you know, the ultimate is in perfection is found in the words of wisdom that Paul gave to the Corinthian church as to how God was to speak and how he was to talk to his, to his people. And God will take a marriage that's less than perfect and use that. And Love is, is, does not come by accident. It's a, it's a relationship that, that you grow into. I can truthfully say that Sister Grant and I, being married 32 years, this coming November the 6th, I think we have as good a marriage as anybody on the planet Earth. Now, <laughs> you may say, well, Brother Grant, you, you must highly uh, esteem your marriage. I, I appreciate my wife. And I can truthfully say this, that if this very day I were not married and I was looking for someone to marry, Leona Darlene Grant would be my choice for the rest of my life. Praise God. She just celebrated her forty-eighth birthday yesterday. <laughs> th- Happy, we- <laughs> birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, sister Grace. Happy birthday to you. Would you believe that Sister Grant was only 16 when we were married? Two-thirds of her life she's been married to me. I don't know how she tolerated me this long. But I want you to know I really do love and appreciate my wife. I, I don't know how I could have made it without her. The third thing, the choice that you need for happiness, you need to choose the ideal vocation. Some people are just simply involved in, in a job situation in which they're not happy. And they're not suited for that. And uh, it would be wise on your part to choose something that you're happy with. Uh, there are very few things in life that I have not enjoy doing and I there's a variety of things that I've been involved in but I I do enjoy I enjoy work Uh, and the truth of the matter is if if there's anything that I I really have to watch I I can fall into the category in which I am teaching against (laughs) I've been guilty of that Richard actually wrote a book called the rhythm of life I don't know if you read it or not, but there's four points in it. You have not. You should get it and read it. He talks about work. He talks about rest. He talks about worship. He talks about play. It is a powerful book. It is something that Sister Grant and I and our family have tried to practice a long time before Richard actually wrote the book. But after reading this, we we decided that we wanted to talk about this and recommend the book to you. So let's talk about work. Burnout can be avoided. It really can. We'll give you some tips on how to avoid burnout. Uh, this can happen without you really realizing it's happening. And all of a sudden you just you got this deep feeling inside when you just simply lose interest in almost everything. I think the best way to abo- avoid burnout... Number one is to organize your work or time. Talked about that a little bit. How do, how do I do this? By making a daily to-do list. Every day, I make a to-do list. Uh, I just write down all the things that I want to, uh, to do and need to do. And there's a psychology involved in this, and we'll get into it a little bit later. Another thing that if you're working with people, some of you are self-employed, you need to help the people around you to become organized. Some of the greatest frustrations of my life uh, have been that I have had the the opportunity to work with people who are extremely unorganized. And uh, I just feel like I'm getting nowhere, you know, in a hurry. Another thing, don't be an alarmist. Don't get bent out of shape about everything that doesn't happen quite right. Sister Grant, want to take a little time talking to you about this. So we'll let Sister Grant uh, talk just for a moment.
1: Good. I get to tell some things on him now. (laughs) Uh, Most women do have a tendency to be alarmist because we have... um, We're more, (laughs) somebody says you're not kidding, because we're more emotional. But um, Brother Grant is not an alarmist. And I remember one time in Texas, uh, he came in from work and he was, We went in to take a nap. And uh, I was out in the, our laundry room was out in the, off the garage. So I was out doing laundry and the laundry room caught on fire. So I ran back into the bedroom and I said, John, the house is on fire. And I ran back out. Well, I looked back, and he didn't follow me. And I thought, what's wrong? So I went back in. He was asleep. So I told him again. (laughs) And I ran back outside. And would you believe by the time he finally came out the house, I had the whole neighborhood in our backyard. The fire truck was pulling in the driveway. And he came out to see what was going on outside. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> you know, <laughs> that reminds me of <laughs> talking about an alarmist. <laughs> I remember my dad went over to Louisiana. He was doing some work in the oil field, and he went down to Louisiana, and he pulled into a little town down in the French-Cajun uh, country, in the bio country. Brother Rogers is uh, pretty much familiar with this. But uh, some of the, the French people down there, they, uh, they're pretty hyper. You know, they, they, get, they get upset about things. But my dad said he stepped out of a truck and there was uh, somebody ran out and said, Richard, Richard, your house is on fire. And this gentleman took, took out running down the road to the street as fast as he could go. And all of a sudden somebody stopped and said, Wait, where are you going? He said, My house is on fire. The man said, Well, you don't have a house. He said, Well, that's right. And secondly, he said, My name's not Richard. <laughs> 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 so don't be an alarmist don't be an alarmist there are people that really that just get bent out of shape about every little thing that happens that uh, is not right a worrying actually opposes faith it really does so you shouldn't fret over things that you don't know what you're fretting over really there are some people that, that are doing this, that do this just had the opportunity this past week, we were at a horse stable. We stabled our horses up in Chano. The lady up there was so worried. She's got about 40 horses, and they were all coughing. And she knew they had rhino, which is an upper respiratory uh, infection. And and she was going to, uh, you know, have to give them all shots and this so much and so much. And uh, and we'd had some cold weather and a lot of rain. And and uh, the girl's name is Trish. I said Trish, why well, hold it just a minute? I said, you know, the vet hasn't examined these horses. You know what's wrong. I said, don't worry over something that you don't know what you're worrying over. Well, she settled down. She said, you know, you're right. She said, "Uh, I shouldn't get so uptight about things. I don't know what I'm uptight about. Wait and see. Well, a couple of weeks now have passed, and she still doesn't know, and most of the horses aren't coughing. She didn't have to vaccinate. You know, uh, you spend a lot of time worrying about things that never come to pass. You really don't. The third thing is don't be a procrastinator. If there's anything that will actually bog you down, weight you down, is to keep things hanging over your head all the time. Now, you see the reason why I say get a to-do list and work that to-do list? Uh, If you don't get things done on it, just simply transfer it to to the next day. I usually have a to-do list that does contain some things that uh, are beyond reach for that particular day. but just things that come to my mind that I need to do. Uh, So don't be a procrastinator because nothing, nothing will weight you down like procrastination. Now, we talk about uh, avoiding burnout. Let's talk about just enjoying life. The Bible says that, that, Jesus endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. He endured a lot of hardships because he saw you and he saw me in the body of Christ. And just to see the end result, what you're trying to to accomplish. Some men go to work and they they really do have this, like, well, another day, another dollar. And they don't really think of of what they're providing for, what their money is going for to be used for all the productivity that comes out of their labor uh, not too long ago i called a uh, a mother in our church and, and what are you we, we were just making conversation it came up about uh, what she was doing she said oh i'm just babysitting today uh, you know i i didn't know that mothers were babysitters i thought that was called parenting i thought you paid to have some a babysitter come. But sometimes, uh, you know, you you become very vain in your your labor when you when when you look at things in an opposing way, and uh, you just don't enjoy life at all. So uh, abundance is is not necessarily uh, what you have, but it's what you enjoy. You know, and you you may not have a lot of cash. You may not have a lot of savings. You may not have a lot of material things to show for what you're doing, but are you really enjoying life? Uh, and if so, this is such a great way of, of lifting a big, heavy burden off of you. Now, another thing, work can and will cure most, now not all, but most cases of depression. America has more depression than it's ever had before. Uh, you see, children are being raised in a home, and usually the sum total of their responsibilities, they take out the trash once a week. They don't have to live in complexes where they do not have to mow the lawn. They don't have to do anything. Just personal response to take the trash out. And that's about it. Uh, if that's all I had to do, I would be depressed. Seriously. Get up and do something. Get up and do something. A uh, lady called me, and she said, I'm depressed. What should I do? I said, well, let me, let me ask you. When's the last time you thoroughly vacuumed your home? Oh, it's been a while. I've been depressed. <laughs> Doing nothing. So I told her, I said, well, why don't you just uh, see if you can really clean up the place today? truthfully i had no evidence that, that her place wasn't clean i just began to question her and you know what she said she came back the uh, next service and she said you know brother Grant, i i started working the house and there's so many things that need to be done i got my mind off of my problems and got my mind on what i'm supposed to do and she said it put a sense of appreciation for my home for my family and and from you know my children and and uh, i haven't had this problem one man called me at two o'clock in the morning that he's depressed. I don't know what to do. I want me to come counseling. I said, Why don't you go home, go to bed, and get a good night's rest? Because people that are asleep are not depressed. What's was a new revelation to him. <laughs> <laughs> See, <laughs> contentment comes in most cases because of the completion Of a task. Got my work all done. I feel content. You've met your goals. You've met your goals. Now, here's a sound warning about work, however. We want to balance this out. You did make vows to God. You made vows to your wife, but you did not make a vow to your employer. Please keep this in mind. Sister Graham wants to say something about this.
1: <coughs> I've had many wives come to me and talk to me about their husbands working so many hours, and uh, their main complaint is they have no time for me, he, or he has no time for me. He has no time for our children, and uh, they were really getting to be real resentful of it. And I know sometimes, and when Brother Grant spent a lot of hours, um, I, I guess I was stupid to know the difference I don't know but I never did resent him working a lot of hours I tried to have fun with the kids and be with with the boys whenever he was working those hours and you know do things with them but a lot of men when they come home from work it's not uh, time with their families It's they they close up um, themselves in a room with their computers Uh, they go fishing with the guys Um, they do they go golfing with their friends Uh, They have their cars that they're interested in. And uh, it still doesn't include their family. So even though they're not out working on a job, per se, when they come home, they're still not spending time with their family. And sometimes you men don't realize what it means to, even though your children are real small, it means a lot to them for you to spend time with them. I know our son Roy one night took his daughter Lana out to, I think Ch- Chuck E. Cheese or some pizza place that he took her to. And this is when Glenn was staying with them. And she was so excited because her and her dad were going out for supper. Not even Glenn could go, she said. And she was just, that just meant a lot to her. And the bo- the, our little grandsons, when they get to spend time with their dad, mm. they're real excited about it. And your, your children will be too. So just remember, even though they're small, They still need that time. Because when they get older, if you don't have time for them when they're little, they may not have time for you when they get older.
0: Just look at 1 Corinthians 7. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. And let every man have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife to the husband. Now look at verse 4. The wife hath not power over her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not the power over his own body, but the wife. I I read this to just just throw something in that I, I think is very, very important. If you're married, you should accept that role. And you should understand that this is the way it is. And you cannot change that, or you should not seek to change that. Basically, if you're married, you should have a married attitude and a married spirit. And if you want to be independent, you should never have gotten married. You should have stayed single. And Paul did say that it would be best for a man not to get married. The truth of the matter is, marriage is the will of God. And he said, now, it would be nice if there were a whole bunch of men just like me who could just pray, fast, seek God, do their work, do everything they're supposed to do, and not be cumbered with a family. But if you are married, that's great. But you must also accept the fact that you cannot have an unmarried attitude or spirit. That the wife should have power over you just like you want to exercise power over her. Now, I know he's talking about intimacy, but I think it goes even further than that. Don't be a married man with an unmarried spirit. So you can't just throw out your leftover time and say, well, this is for the wife. And this is for the kids. You are not fulfilling your role as a man of God in your household. The revival that was prophesied in the book of Malachi concerning the New Testament revival that was to start with John the Baptist, the Bible says, he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And he shall turn the hearts of the children to the father. And we are seeing this independent Attitude sweeping our world. But at the same time, in religious ranks, a lot of emphasis is being placed on family life. I really thank the Lord for that. I do. A lot of Christian ladies are giving up careers to become mothers. And they are very proud, if I can use that term, of their calling in life. And a lot of men are giving up a lot of, opportunities in the secular world to be a dad and balance their lives i really appreciate what i'm seeing. now let's talk about another area and this is rest six days of work one day of rest in the old testament god saw that this was so necessary that he put it in the ten commandments Unnecessary work in the Old Testament, that is, breaking the Sabbath day rule, was punishable even to the point of death. You remember the man that was caught picking up sticks on the Sabbath? And Moses didn't know what to do, but he inquired of God. God says, take the man and kill him. Now, we automatically think of God as being a very merciful God by what we see in the Bible about the character of God. But there are times in which God executed swift judgment upon men. It appears that what, uh, what's happening here is that, you know, you need a day of rest. And God was saying, well, uh, if a man's going to kill himself working, I'll just do it in a hurry and uh, <clears throat> get it over with right now. And uh, let everybody learn a lesson that this is the way it's going to be. (laughs) There may have been some humor in what I said, but I think there's a little bit of truth in that too. Now, there were exceptions to the Sabbath day rule. You know, if a man had an ox that fell into the ditch and such, uh, uh, he could go and break that rule. But please remember, see, God judged the motive of the man. The man could have picked up his sticks the day before, but he didn't. He failed to plan. Most people do one of two things when they, when they get tired. They either get grouchy or they get silly, and neither one are appreciated. <laughs> really, it's usually one or the other. Neither one is too much appreciated because their humor is really not humorous at all. <laughs> and, and and a person who's been out of shape all the time, anger is is pretty much temporary insanity. Really. My wife and I just have this standing rule, and that is that when I'm angry and upset that she doesn't believe what I say. And when she's angry and upset, which is far and few between, you know. Few and far between, I should say. I don't believe what she says. I have actually said some things to her when I was angry that I, I regretted. Oh, I regretted. I repented. I asked for forgiveness. Isn't it true that when you're angry, you're usually insane a little bit? Yeah. That, that is true. But Christians seem to be coming up with all kinds of excuses, See? The ox is always in the ditch. But you need to plan to keep the ox out of the ditch on the day of rest. You need to do that. I think that's why God judged the man that picked up the sticks, because only God knew what could have been. We need to build fences around segments of our time. Just a time of rest. Just a time of refreshing. So learn to build some fences around large segments of of your life so that you can rest. Now, if you are a pastor, and we do have many pastors here, Sunday, which we call a day of rest in the New Testament, is really not a day of rest for a pastor. Consequently, you need some parsonage rules. Uh, Maybe you'd like to comment on this, sister.
1: I don't know how many years ago it was now, but Sister Thorpe put in our church bulletin that uh, the parsonage hours are from 10 in the morning to 10 at night. No, from 10 at night to 10 in the morning. I'm sorry. Otherwise, you'd never be able to call us in daytime, would you? But after 10 o'clock at night until 10 in the morning, no calls, unless there's always an emergency or something, and that, that was an exception. But this would give Brother Grant time to at least get dressed of a morning to get to the church because he was usually over here before 10 anyway. But this gave us a little time, you know, as a family of a morning before all the phone calls kept coming in. And so I think parsonage Drew are really good.
0: This is not something we actually came up with. Uh, some minister in our church, and I don't recall, I think it goes all the way back to Brother Ken Gaston about 19 years ago. Uh, he just suggested this, and Sister Thorpe put it in our bulletin. And while our kids were growing up, uh, the church referred to the 10 to 10 rule. We had family altar at night. Kids were in bed uh, in the morning. Sister Grant got up, we pray with the kids, send them off to school, uh, straightening up and everything. Of course, I came on to the church, but it served as a good rule, and we make that suggestion. If, you, if your pastor is here, you need to go to your pastor and say, I... I I endorse the 10 to 10 rule. You may want to alter the hours because of the particular circumstance or situation. The smaller the children, naturally the more time that a family needs to themselves because older children are usually off to school before then.
1: One reason this is good is because we have, and I'm sure some of you saints are our real prize winners, but... Uh, <laughs> We'd have some that would call at 2 o'clock in the morning and they'd say, Brother Grant, I'm reading my Bible and the scripture, I can't figure it out. Well, he would figure it out for them after waking up and he's the type, you wake him up, he doesn't go back to sleep. So then he was up the rest of the night. So he was no good for anybody. He was one of the grouches, as you call it, if he referred to during the day if he didn't get his rest at night. So we felt, this is the reason we felt like that rule was really good.
0: Another thing that I started doing, and I, uh, Sister Grant made reference to me taking a nap. Basically, uh, I have, uh, I've always worked long hours. I've enjoyed it. But in order to give a lot of time to the, to the family in the evening, or even if I'm doing the work of the Lord, teaching a Bible study, I don't like to be tired. I can, I can lay down. I can actually set my alarm on my watch for 15 minutes. I can go sound asleep and sleep for 15 minutes and when i wake up i'm really awake now sister grant made it appear by her little humorous story that that's not really the case but i I told the story i told the story brother brother crowder when he first came in he was uh the engineer of the university radio station and he gave me a call Uh, Well, I went down to see him on a Saturday, and he said, How would you like to preach on the radio? And I said, Well, fine, I'd like to. He said, Okay, I'll give you a call in the morning. I thought he meant in the morning to verify or to get with me. Well, when I got down to pray that night, I left my Bible by my bedside. At 7 o'clock in the morning, I received this call. I was up on my bed fast asleep. And it it was Brother Crowder. He said, Brother Brother Crowder, it's Brother Grant. I mean, Brother Grant is Brother Crowder. (laughs) I'm not awake now, am I? and i said he said just hold on a minute and i had this strange feeling so i reached down and got my bible and the next thing i heard was he he said all right you're on the air and i am serious i went from a dead sleep to preaching on the radio in less than a minute i had no i had no idea as to how long I was supposed to preach later on, I asked him, he said, well, I'm in charge. It doesn't make any difference. He said, the Lord runs the station now. <laughs> so I preached on the radio from, from, a, from a bed. But I did find out that uh, you can get a lot of rest uh, in, in 10 or 15 minutes. Now, a lot of people can't, they say, but you can psychologically, uh, you, can, you, you can do this. I'm not a person sitting around and nod. I don't get sleepy much. I can stay up long hours without, you know, without feeling the effects of it. But I can go in and just pull down the shades, get dressed for bed, pull the covers back, lay down, go sound asleep, 15 minutes, be back up, get dressed, and and feel great for the evening. Give some quality time to my family and to my wife. Then there's another thing. Uh, Sunday afternoon is nap time for us. We've had this for years. Uh, Someone came, a new convert, eating up with zeal. Brother Grant, is it a sin to sleep on Sunday afternoon? (laughs) My pad answer is, it's a sin not to sleep on Sunday afternoon. (laughs) Rest is a very important ingredient in life let's talk about worship and dev- devotion now much burnout is mislabeled it is actually choke out Matthew thirteen twenty-two: the bible says the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches rose up and choked see these vines of, which represent deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this life have you ever felt like the cares of this life were eating you alive? That you had no time for God, no time for prayer. Now, true prayer, coupled with repentance, will keep your energy level high. I, I really believe this. Now, First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians pardon me, the Second Corinthians, part of the seventh chapter. Uh, if you'll just turn there quickly, the Bible says, "For godly sorrow works repentance to salvation, not to be repented of." But the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold this selfsame thing, that you sorrowed after a godly sort. What carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. What indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. After a careful study in the New Testament concerning repentance, I am convinced that Paul is giving us the fruit of repentance. The fruit would be the evidences of repentance. The reason why that many people, void of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, have such zeal for God is because that they know how to repent. They really do. They really do know how to repent. And repentance will keep you from feeling choked by the world all the time. It separates you, I spoke of this last night briefly, from life and from the cares of this life. And any time you enter into a place of worship, prayer, devotion, you need to feel separated from life and from your problems. It's just you and God, and you need that feeling. And the more committed you are, the more you need to exercise this type of relationship with God. If you notice, you know, the baptism of the Holy Ghost has its fruit, found in Galatians 5. John the Baptist says, bring forth meat, fruit unto repentance. Notice he says, what carefulness, repentance brings about a carefulness. It also brings about a clearing. But there is a point in which you cross over the negative, that is, the taking away of the sin and the placing inside of you of something that's positive. See, Brother Alan Oggs wrote the book, You Have to Have the Want to. The big question is, how do you get the want to? Where does the want to come from? Is that just in some people mysteriously placed there by God, and some people never get it? Jesus said, He that hungereth and thirsteth after righteousness shall be filled. But what, if the, what, what, about, what about the man who cannot pray? who cannot cry, who never has that thirst, he does not have a true revelation of human nature that must be killed and crucified with Jesus. He does not know how to repent. When he learns the true art of repentance, he will find that it is not altogether negative. You know, you see the man that comes down to the altar been seeking for the Holy Ghost for 30 years. And we've had people like that. You see a man that walks in off the street. Why? He doesn't know one thing about sin. He just says, God, I'm a sinner. He finds out later he ought not be smoking, he ought not be drinking. He never even mentioned that. But he, well, why did he receive the Holy Ghost? But you see, you knew something was going to take place because he had such a hunger. And this man's been paying his tithe, never missed his church, living right. You can't get a tear out of it. I've heard this all my life. Well, he lives a repented life. You really think so? It was said of the church at Ephesus, go back and do your first works. Why? He said because you have lost your first love. And the, the statement made to Ephesus, repent or else I'll remove your candlestick. A lot of what we call burnout is no more than been choked out. It's a direct result of a bad, maybe I shouldn't say a bad, but an improper relationship with God. That's what it is. Not in every case, but in many cases that's what it is. And you need a good relationship. You see, if God is not piloting your plane, you will crash. It's just a matter of where and when. A jumbo jet several years ago, and I don't even remember the location, crashed. The reason why is because lightning struck the tower. At the same time, another bolt of lightning struck the plane. The tower was inoperable, and the communication in the plane, the dense fog, and they were running out of fuel. I think it was in Miami in that area one of the first uh, jumbo jets to crash. The pilot knew I will crash. I don't know when because I don't know when the fuel is going to run out. And I don't know where. But because I have no communication with the tower, it's really a matter of when and where. And a lot of people walk through life that way. They're headed for a crash. Because Their communication with God, see, is not what it ought to be. It's just a matter of when you're going to crash and where you're going to crash. And some crashes are labeled as burnout. And I I guess that would be proper. But it's not really a matter of being overworked as much as underprayed. Praise God. Here again, when it comes to your relationship with God, you must build large fences around your time and your devotion that you have with God morning prayer meetings evening prayer meetings i don't i don't know how in the world you can start a day out without getting up and praying and seeking God i don't know how you can expect things to go right i would be most confused i need that direction that directive that comes from the holy spirit altar time with your family in the evening such a valuable time getting your children together and listen you don't have to go teach Bible studies when it's time to pray with your kids you can just organize your time and teach your Bible studies some other time many men are out knocking on doors they're out teaching Bible studies mom's putting the children to bed father you should be the spiritual leader of your house my youngest son Steve who's right back here by the spiral chart receive the Holy Ghost in our bedroom sitting on my knee at family altar time. Praise God. Hallelujah. Then we're living in a day in which it's hard to get people to commit themselves to attend church regularly. Seriously. A lot of people missing church. Playing too much. (laughs) Sister Grant has a little article she wants to read.
1: <clears throat> Before I read this, I remember when our children were growing up, it was never a, a question of do we go to church this morning or are the kids going to church. We just went, and we taught them the importance of attending church. And Brother Grant found this article, and he wanted me to read it. It's the No Excuse Sunday.
0: From Ann Landers, <laughs> by the way.
1: <laughs> to make it possible for everyone to attend church next week. We are planning a special no-excuse Sunday. Number one, cots will be placed in the vestibule for those who say sleep Sunday is the only day for me to sleep in. Number two, eye drops will be available for those whose eyes are tired from watching television too late on Saturday night. Number three, we will have steel helmets for those who believe the roof will cave in if they show up for a church service. <coughs> Number four, blankets will be furnished for those who complain that the church is too cold. And fans will be on hand for those who say the church is too hot. Number five, we will have hearing aids for all the parishioners who say the pastor doesn't talk loud enough. And there will be cotton for those who say the pastor talks too loud. Number six, scorecards will be available for those who wish to count the hypocrites. Number seven, we guarantee that some relatives will be present for those who like to go visiting on Sunday. Number eight, there will be TV dinners available for those who claim they can't go to church and cook dinner too. Number nine, one section of the church will have some trees and grass for those who see God in nature, especially on the golf course. Number 10, the sanctuary will be decorated with both Christmas poinsettias, and Easter lilies to create a familiar environment (laughs) for for those who have never seen the church without them. See you in church.
0: (laughs) Well, our time is up. We just want to comment on point d though and that's play which is a very very important part of family life Uh, we set aside in our calendar monday night here at calvary gospel church we we stick with that nothing is ever uh, put on the church schedule for monday night we want this to be a family night when our children were growing up uh, we let each one choose on monday night be Steve's turn, Roy's turn, John's turn. We actually uh, we didn't do this till the boys were older, so Steve would be more acquainted with this than the others. But uh, if they wanted to go to the shopping mall on Monday night, that's what we did. Want to go fishing? That's what we did. We took turns, uh, and then then of course we came back, and of course we concluded uh, the evening always with prayer. Uh, one thing that I do that uh, that I have especially. Uh, found to be helpful because that Saturday is not a good day for a pastor to take off. You know, the most schedules, forty hours, exclude Saturday and, and Sunday. Uh, Sunday is a day of rest, and Saturday be a day of which you do things around the house and such. Is that uh, I take off on Tuesdays? Monday is a hard day for me. A lot of pastors take off on Monday. Reason why is because it just so many loose ends from the weekend that i like to tie up so i take off on tuesday uh another reason why too is because it gives my wife and i the opportunity if we would like to start our day off uh, on monday night uh see we don't have children now in the home uh monday night we got tuesday and then tuesday night uh this is uh, this is a very very important time uh I go shopping with Sister Grant. I, I personally in, enjoy shopping. Uh, there was a time which I didn't, but she used to go with me to look, you know, at uh, fishing equipment. And she doesn't care to fish, but she'd go with me. And uh, I like for her to be with me. I travel very little without my wife uh, because of the price of plane fares and such. I, I have to do this on occasion, but uh, uh, we spend a lot of time together. A lot of time together. Uh, I help her with housework, and she helps me with yard work, uh, such as my yard work is. (laughs) I'm one of these nature guys, you know, just the more natural it looks, the better I like it. (laughs) No, it really isn't that way. (laughs) I love my horse. But uh, uh, we, we do things together. Our house We recently decorated, painted it, and uh, uh, truthfully, uh, we enjoy doing things together. The best of you, we decorated this together. We went shopping. Uh, I enjoy going in, and and she's looking for dresses, sweaters, scarves. I enjoy being with her. Now, there was a time which I didn't like that. But, you you know, the height of selfishness is for everything to come your way. It isn't right. So I just developed a like for it. I said, well, look, she goes with me. I'm going to go with her, and I'm going to learn to like this. And uh, so I did. That's probably one of the better things to, to happen to me. Variety is, is the spice of life. This also helps avoid burnout. A variety, a deviation. helps you to get out of a rut. Now, remember, we said the priorities are what? God the family of God, and the work of God. A lot of people feel that they're just killing time. You're not. Your whole life is involved. If you do it productively, this is a ministry. Being with your family, working with your family, giving them quality time, ministering to your wife. That's a very, very important thing. If you went out on a golf course to help a discouraged brother, you you know, you'd say, that's part of my ministry. Would you? Sure, you would. It, it's it's strange how we can look at everybody else differently. Variety is a spice of life. My wife and I have horses, and the truth of the matter is, we got horses because she likes to ride. Now I enjoy riding. Don't don't misunderstand. Me. But I also enjoy fishing. Uh, I really like to fish. I mean, I really like to fish. She doesn't. But she used to go fishing with me all the time. You know what she did? She took cross stitching and sat on the creek bank in a lawn chair, cross-stitching, while the boys and I fished. See? So uh, we, we ride horses, and we ride horses almost every day off. We've got other responsibilities. Right now, horses up in Shawland. I, I don't, uh, I've had people come around and say, Oh, it must be nice. It is nice. <laughs> I don't pick any bones about it. So, uh, others say it's real expensive. It is expensive. It really is. It costs us $3 a day to board our horse, and by the way, it costs $5 up there to board a poodle. <coughs> I just thought I'd tell you that, you know. I don't know how much to board a pig, but the few. <coughs> <coughs> You know, the book of Ecclesiastes is a very intriguing book and we're going to close right away because everything that is vanity. Well, you know, Solomon talked about things that were good and things that were sinful and yet he says they're they're vain. Good things can be vain and sinful things are always sinful but some things are not sinful unless you do not place them in their proper perspective now i preached the message on how to get the most out of pleasure let me tell you how to get the most out of pleasure you see when you read between the lines and sometimes you can get in trouble reading between the lines but when when you read between the lines in the book of ecclesiastes this is what you get out of it he calls houses he says it's vain vexation. You see, the reason why a house became a vain thing is because Solomon was expecting, expecting something out of a house that a house was never designed by God to give to a man. That's why it's vain. Some people only live for the weekends. It rains. Some people live for their va- annual vacations and something goes wrong, so it spoils their whole year. But what Solomon is saying, it doesn't make any difference what it is. Now, sinful things are always vain and always sinful, and you'll never get anything out of them. But if you ever expect out of anything in life that's materialistic or any activity that you become involved in more than what that was designed by God to give you, it becomes vain. You know the reason why Paul could say, in every state you're in, be content? Why could he sing praises at midnight in a jail? Because he never expected that jail to get give him much anyway. He never expected to get much out of it. Because jails were not designed to give men happiness. <laughs> See? That peace that comes from God is not determined by external things. See. And so go out and have fun. But don't expect that to be the totality of all your happiness. And don't expect that to compensate in a relationship with your wife, your family, or with God, because it won't add a dimension to your life, it will subtract from your life. So if you want a life that is 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 is, is, is ordered of God, there must be some balance. As far as love is concerned, you see, all the love that I need to feel can never come from this woman. As much as I love her. It was not designed by God to give me that. I need the love of God. And you can be, you can be happily employed and happily married and yet be an unhappy person. And you can think, well, if I just had another wife, or a different wife, or if I could change my wife. But balance is the key. And balance comes through organizing. Not getting in a rut, but being involved in all of the avenues of life that are available as you have set your priorities biblically. Because that's your life. That's your ministry. Uh, we, uh, we're we just, Sister Grant, and our fun-loving people. A little situation happened when after Steve married. Yeah, maybe you want to tell.
1: <laughs> we didn't want Steve to get married. We thought he was too young. He didn't think he was. But he went ahead and got married, so Brother Grant and I thought, well, we're going to make the best of this. I've seen couples, when they get older, they sit on the front porch and twiddle their thumbs and wonder if it's going to rain or if it's tornado it's going to knock them without a home or whatever, and I didn't want to be that way. I meant, sure, I'm, good, I'm getting older, I'm 48, but I don't feel 48, and I don't want to grow old and cranky, and maybe I will one day, I don't know, but one night, Brother Grant and I went to bed, and we both woke up, I think it was about 2 o'clock in the morning, and we decided, hey, let's get dressed and go down to Mark's Big Boy and get a hot fudge Sunday And that's what we did. And that may sound dumb, and maybe it was, but we I, had fun.
0: <laughs> I think we timed it. We said, how, how soon can we get dressed and be down there? And would you believe, I think it was 13 minutes later, we were sitting down there ordering. <laughs>
1: that's pretty fast.
0: <laughs> uh, a, a big problem, really, in marriage is when the children leave is a, the fact that the husband and wife have nothing in common nothing uh, the children's left the nest and they don't even know each other uh one time brother and sister sisco they've come over to madison for uh, uh their anniversary a few times and they were going home sunday afternoon i said well uh, brother sisco they were in a motel and of course our church uh, had him speaking we were f- providing the the room and such uh i said you just go ahead and we'll pay the the room so he called me and told me he said look uh appreciate this they they went and took a little nap but it was a kind of a honeymoon type suite and had a sofa in there. So we just kind of stretched out on the sofa so we'd like for you and sister grant to to come and and occupy this tonight so after church we thought we were looking forward to that you know it's a good uh, two miles from the house but if there wasn't a big hill in the way you could see the house so uh, we got in in the room and the lights all turned out and i tossed and tumbled for a few minutes and Oh, I said, what's wrong? I said, you know, I believe my bed's better than this. And she said, uh, you know, I know it is. I said, let's see how fast we can get dressed and get home and get in bed. <laughs> Man, I tell you, we, we boogered there for a minute, and just a few minutes later we were in our bed and the lights were out. And she said, oh, isn't this much better than that motel room? And I said, it sure is. Honey. Praise God. Well, we have a very happy life together. And... Uh, I don't want to to misinform you or to lead you astray. Life has breakdowns. Somebody will call you on your day off. It'll be an emergency. Maybe not for you, but for them. And you can't always determine that. There will be times in which things do not go right. You'll have a to-do list half a mile long. You'll work one thing, and that's all you'll get to. But you just can't get bent out of shape about that. You just keep going your chart or your, uh, your course where there has been charted in life. We built this building at the same time we were building the tabernacle in, in, at the district uh, campground, uh, 10,000 square feet in the tabernacle and over 11 here. We did all this work ourselves. I supervised a lot of this. I had just a couple of weeks there back-to-back 90 hours of work. I built this platform. Brother Aaron came over and helped. Designed this, built this, most of this with my hands. Rich Thomas and, and Tom Nelson, some of the men, they, would, they worked on these walls all oh, long, long hours. But uh, I went through all of that, and I'm still sane, at least I hope so. And, and the reason why is because we, we still kept as much as we possibly could in, in contact with our family. So we took Sunday afternoon naps. I took my day off, by the way. We finished the tabernacle on our campground at the same time, in the same week in which we finished this building and occupied. And my to-do list was long, and I survived. And you know what? I'm still enjoying life. Praise God. Praise God. I've, I've had fun talking with you. Sister Grant hasn't said a whole lot. But she's really been a sweetheart here.